Good morning, please be seated. Look, it's always a great pleasure to come back uh, to The Rock. I get here every two, two and a half years, and uh, we just uh, love you guys. We love who you are. We are unbelievably grateful for a church like yourself that uh, is not on and off, hot and cold, but you've consistently helped the kingdom of God to move forward in Europe through our work, through our ministry, through our relationships for 12 to 14 years now. And so I, I, I want to say thank you uh, on behalf of the people that you may never meet until you get to heaven. But uh, without people like you praying and giving and going and doing what you do, we could never do what we do, right? So this is actually a genuine, authentic partnership. We are one together in the boat. We are pulling in the, pulling in the cash together. And so right at the top, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your kindness. And uh, as a church, <clears throat> you may not be aware, but you actually support Judith and myself to do what we do. We, we don't take a salary. We live by faith. We have friends like you guys that support us. And uh, we have miracles when needed. And uh, that's been a good way to live. So we're really happy about that. Um, so, so again, thank you for that. I'm going to show you a little bit of uh, what we're doing. We, we, we are deeply committed to see the kingdom of God transform communities right across uh, Eastern Europe. And so we've been working in a, in a community called Lazarani, and we've been coming at this this situation in many different ways. Started a youth center, um, started something for ladies. Um, but one of the big things that we have going on there is an after-schools program for children because um, in that community, the Roma, the gypsies, are forced to go to school with the Romanians and they have two different learning techniques. And so what happens is the Roma get so discouraged that the teacher's going too fast, and for the Romanian, she's going too slow, and they quit school, eight, nine, 10 years of age. And if you quit school, eight, nine, or 10 years of age, you're guaranteed to remain in systemic poverty. The girls will be trafficked, and the boys will go into crime. And you don't need a social, social degree to, to know that, right? So we, we have come into this community, and we are bringing support and help um, in this uh, after-schools program, six hours a week. You'll see on the movie. And uh, in all the teaching and all the academia that they get, we're dragging Jesus into the classroom. And it's just a beautiful thing to see. And uh, just check this out. Thank you. Life through the eyes of Aurel and Joanna would look bleak and hopeless. They represent a number of children living in this very poor gypsy community in Lazaren. The poverty is so extreme that even the basic human right of access to running water is not a reality. These children were stigmatized. They were marginalized from society. They couldn't look to a future or even contemplate having aspirations and dreams. This is changing, as hope is now starting to become deeply rooted in their hearts, and they are realizing that they can be and do so much more than they could ever dream or imagine.
service has been activated through an after-school project giving each child the opportunity to access education, to understand their creative potential. Aurel and Joanna are two of the 60 children who are invited to come three times a week where they are given a meal, nurtured, loved and given help with their education. Programul After School m-a ajutat să învăț foarte bine la școală. Datorită lui am note foarte bine și sunt prima în clasă. There is an old saying, give a man a fish and it will feed him for a day, but teach a man to fish and it will feed him for a lifetime. The same principle of giving a child an education is giving them a passport for the future, a chance to live. Mie mi-ar plăcea când o să fie mare, să mă fac jandar, să oprez violența. Our commitment is unchanged. We continue to invest and champion these children like Aurel and Ioana to every possible success. Programul de after school a ajutat pe copii să-și aprofundeze cunoștințele dobândite la ore prin metode variate. De asemenea, sunt ajutați să lucreze atât individual cât și pe grupe și sunt sprijiniți să-și facă temele de casă. Prin acest program, ei beneficiază de hrană caldă, rechizite și un mediu propice pentru a progresa în educație. Through this transformational project, children are remaining in school and engaged with learning. These children, right before our eyes, now have the chance to dream, to live, to hope. You may never meet a child like Aurel and Joanna, but you can impact a life of a child just like them. So will you join us in sowing a life-changing seed, not only into a child's today, but in their tomorrow too? We invite you to be part of the change. Look, it's been unbelievably remarkable what has taken place. We're getting so much affirmation from the local education authority, and they would like us to kind of extrapolate what we're already doing there. But look, it takes about $250 to take, take a child through school for a whole year there. I know maybe in your context, that doesn't seem a lot of money in terms of education, but you might even go a long way. And, and it may, maybe, there may be people in the room that you say, okay, I want to do one child. And there's 60 or 70 children we're trying to help to do this. But maybe $250, that's just, that's just too much for some people. I, and I get that. And, and maybe for others, maybe you can do two or maybe you could do three. But I'm just asking you to do something. Whatever Jesus asks, tells you to do this morning, just, just do something because you can actually create a new future for these children you can liberate them from poverty but you can give them a hope uh, to live this life full with the power and the love of Jesus it's just a fantastic opportunity so if if you care to help you'll have an opportunity at the end I know you guys are always generous I think when I came last time it was almost six thousand dollars you gave just to let you know I spent it like all of it. I didn't keep any for a rainy day.
And just again to give you confidence, like none of this money goes to me. It doesn't go to me and Jews. It goes directly to the action. And so if you feel inclined to do that, that would be absolutely awesome. Since I was last with you, I've released a book called Checking Into Faith. I have my good friend, Paul Gibbs. He's just going to tell you a little bit, little bit about this book. But if you're one of these people that you, you already have too much faith, don't get this book, right? <laughs> No, no, you'll overdose, and it'll not be good. It won't, it won't be good. But anyway, Paul, just tell us about the book. Thank you. Hi, so I want to recommend a book to you, Checking Into Faith by Ian Green. Uh, it's a fantastic book. So 30 years ago, uh, Ian's teaching really encouraged me to step out in faith in a vision that God gave me. Now, uh, I've been looking forward to him writing about faith for many years, and this book uh, certainly doesn't uh, disappoint. So if you're interested in having your faith stretched, um, then this is really, really good for you. Uh, it talks about uh, stepping out in faith. It talks about the key to that. It also talks about what happens when it gets really dark and things don't work out the way you expect. I've often thought that faith is not in the stepping out, it's in the waiting after you've stepped out, but before the promise uh, comes true, if you like. And um, this book really, really deals with that very, very well. And there's a great flow to the book. Starts with the benefits of stepping out in faith and how to hear God's voice and how to not uh, hear God's voice. You know, the ways we should and the way we shouldn't listen out for God. Uh, talks about um, generosity in a really interesting way and uh, one of my favorite parts of the book is where Ian talks about there is no pie. I think sometimes uh, as he says um, when we give something away whether it's our time, our finances, our energy we feel as though there's less to give. In actual fact God always replenishes uh, what we've given and there's always more and Ian talks about this. Lots of fantastic stories, really really practical book I'll definitely be recommending it to uh, our staff and our volunteers. Uh, you might want to do that as well. Um, and, uh, but just for your personal benefit of really opening your mind to new levels of faith, this book's great. So um, hopefully you'll go out and get it from Amazon today. Or you can get it in the foyer after the service. And so they are $20 each or two for 35 if you want to bless someone with this whole theme and subject. So I want to talk to you right now about becoming a community-changing church. That's the mandate upon us at The Rock is that we're not here for ourselves. We are actually here for people who have not yet turned up. Okay, that's who we are here for. We are here for this community to know there's a God in heaven that loves them and cares for them. And so if, if you have your Bibles, please turn with with me to Nehemiah and chapter 2. Nehemiah and chapter 2. I'm reading from verse 1. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king with wine. I had never been appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick. To me, you must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king! How can I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked me, Well, what can I, how, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases the king, and if you, if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to build the city where the ancestors are buried." The king, with the queen sitting beside him, said, How long will you be gone? 
And when will you return? I told him how long I would be gone, and the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of Euphrates, instructing them to travel safely through the territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter to address to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. And I... Uh, timber I will need for, to make the beams of the gates of the temple, the fortress, the city walls, and the house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. And when the governor of the province west of Euphrates River, I traveled uh, with the king's letters, and the king, uh, should add, had sent with me a a long army of officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sambala the Hornonite and the Tobiah Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. The Bible says about Ezekiah that he understood the times and he knew what we should do. And you know, this church that you belong to I've been coming back here for 12, 14 years, and, and what's absolutely impressive is, is how you're able to adjust and change so that you continually revise in ways how you can reach your community. And that is critical for the health and wholeness of any particular church. And so... Uh, you need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged by that. And sometimes in our, in, our, in our own personal lives, sometimes how we're going to reach and touch people may have to change because maybe the patterns that we've used in the past are actually not working currently. But in this passage, it's very clear that with God, there are times and seasons in his economy. So in chapter 1, in chapter 1, when the story starts, it starts that in chapter 1 and verse 1, in the month of Kislev, in the month of Kislev, that Nehemiah began to pray. And as he began to pray and pray and pray, not a lot happened. And it wasn't until the month of Nisan, chapter 2, the month of April, did God begin to answer his prayers? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Have you experienced that not, not many prayers are instantly answered, right? And, and so sometimes in God, there are time delays. There's, and we sometimes think it's a denial, but no, it's, it's, it's just a delay. And the Bible says there's a time for everything. If the Bible says with faith and endurance, we inherit the promises. And so there are time delays. God has time delays. And I know this, this is a praying church, and there may have been aspirations that maybe things would have been greater and bigger and better than what they are now. And, of course, we rejoice in all that God is doing. But, you know, I sense that foyer that's coming out the front. I think that's a, I think that's a prophetic statement to this community. You're actually making more room for more people to come. This is not to make it more comfortable for us. <laughs> this is to make it easier for more people to come. Have you got that? And I think, don't just see that as bricks and mortar. See that as a prophetic statement that you are opening the doors wide for people to come in and enjoy the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of the Lord. There are time delays. You see, in this passage, Nehemiah is overcome by the need. He'd managed to hide his need up until that moment in time. But now he's deeply moved by the city of Jerusalem is broken down. 
And we have to begin to move the center of our attention from ourselves to the community. Many times, we so navel-gaze. We, we, we think about our problems and our worries and our concerns. Well, we have a process for that. The Bible says, cast your cares on the Lord. And He does care for you, right? But we, we, we are to care for our community. And your community may be the people that you work with. Your community may be the school that you attend. Your, your community may be the street where you live in. Your community may be the apartment block that you're in. That's the community. And so we start saying to Jesus, Jesus, how do I care for the people here? What do I have to do to care for these people? How do I show your love and kindness to these people? And he's now overcome with this incredible need. I think it was Bob Pierce from World Vision many years ago said this. To be significant in God's purposes, you have to ask God what's breaking his heart and then ask him to break yours. So they prayed in chapter 1. He prayed in chapter 1. He set a foundation in chapter 1. But God began to work in chapter 2. Sometimes there are time delays. Secondly, with God, there are ways and means in God's economy. Because they prayed in chapter 1, some remarkable things began to happen in chapter 2. See, as we pray, the unexpected can happen. As we, do you get that? As we pray, the unexpected can happen. In fact, I'd, I suggest you one of the litmus tests that we are praying is that unexpected things are happening. How much of the unexpected is happening? Because that gives us a fuel to begin to call upon the name of the Lord because that's his plan, the unexpected to happen. And, and the remarkable thing is, is the king noticed that he was sad. Now, that's bad news. Because people in the king's court in those days, they were there to make the king happy. They were to be jolly. They would have the best jokes, the best wine, the best food. The, the king already had lots of other pressures. But in his court, he wanted happiness. But his king, his, his servant, Nehemiah, was very sad. So in the normal run of life, that was good night to Nehemiah because he's going to just lose his head because he wouldn't have anybody sad in his presence, right? But somehow, Nehemiah had built some level of relationship with the king, and the king says, what's going on here? You, you don't look sick. There's something's troubling you. Tell me, tell me what the problem is. And as he began to pray... The unexpected began to happen. And you see, as we begin to pray, the unexpected begins to happen. Now, I used to have a proper job. I used to work for an insurance company in a city called Cardiff. Now, Cardiff is the capital of Wales. You probably don't know this, but ca ca you know, Cardiff is the capital of the universe, right? You probably didn't know that, but, you know, I'm letting President Trump know so he doesn't get confused. Anyway, so... <laughs> I'm, and, and I went to the, I got this job one year before I went to Bible college to kind of save some cash um, to help to pay for my fees. And it was, it was, it, that was actually the start of my journey of faith because I'm saving for seven, eight, nine months. And then, then I got this pile of cash, which is going to go towards my fees. And I feel the Lord say, give it away. And I said, come now, let's reason together. You know, that's a whole other story. Anyway, and, and so I get, to this, I get to this office. It's 13 stories high, and, and um, I'm there, and, and the man in charge of that whole office block is called Mr. Davis, and, and no one has seen him for years. No one actually knew if he was alive or dead, but his face did appear on the monthly bulletin that went round to all the staff. 
And, I, and when I joined the company, I said to Jesus, I would really love to share my testimony with Mr. Davis. Like I'm 17 year old, I'm, I'm, I'm a nothing, right? And so I'm there one month, two months, three months, six months, seven months, eight months, nine, 10 months, nothing. I hand my notice and I'm leaving. Come to my last week, come to my last day, not seen him, forget about talking, not even seen him. On my last day, I'm leaving at four o'clock, 12 o'clock, nothing. Three o'clock, my phone rings on my desk. It's Mr. Davis's PA. He says, uh, Mr. Green, would you like to uh, come and see Mr. Davis? We understand that you're leaving the company today. I go, wow. I jump in the lift, 13 stories, getting closer to heaven all the time. <laughs> go into this barrage of secretaries and go into this very opulent office, and Mr. Davis is there, and... And um, he says, oh, Ian, it's really, it's really good to, really good to have you here. Um, I understand you're leaving today. Wow. It's, it's just a shock to me because all the feedback I'm getting is that everybody says, you are going to be great for our company. You can have a great career. It's, well, we're made for you and you're made for us. And is there, like, is there any way that we can change your mind? I know it's the last hour, but is there any way we can change your mind? I says, well, not really. So what are you going to do? I says, well, I'm going to go to Bible college. He says, oh, sorry. <laughs> What's all that about? And then I begin to unpack the story of Jesus in my life to him. Now, I'd been warned when I went into that room. I had 15 minutes, and it was strict, right? Now, 45 minutes later, he keeps on asking me a barrage of questions about my faith, about my destiny, about my future, why I'm doing this, why, what's drawn me just amazing. You see, as we pray, the unexpected could happen. I want to tell you now, that as you begin to pray, the unexpected, the expectation should begin to rise in our hearts. As we pray, the unbelievable can happen. So get this, the king says to him, who is the resource agent of the whole region. He's, he's the rich guy. He has everything. He has the army. He has the cash. He has all kinds of resources. And the king says to Jeremy, the king says to Nehemiah, so, so what do you want? What a question. It's the same question that God asked Solomon. He says, Solomon, what do you want? It's the same question that God asked us, what do you want? What do you want? Do you know what you want? I've discovered most people don't know what they want. No idea what they want. Or it's, it's, so, it's so immaterial, it's really not even worth speaking about. But what do you want? Like, at your funeral, what do you want people to say? He always had clean shoes. Beautiful. Whenever we went to their home, the table was always polished. Wow. Is that it? That's it after 75 years. Good. No, no. Decide what you want people to say now. And begin to build towards that. That person was radical for Jesus. That person was selfless. That person was passionate about the cause of Jesus. That person was generous beyond all. So, so we start to build. We start to build. We start to help people's speeches now by the way that we live at our funeral, right? So what do you want? What do you want? It's what I want, right? I want, I want, I want to raise, raise 10,000 
community transformers across the globe. I want people to be conduits to the kingdom of God. I want people to be catalytic in their city and in their community to drag heaven in, to establish the rule and the reign of Christ so the good, goodness and mercy and kindness and peace and forgiveness and joy can come into our world and people can experience all that we're experiencing right now in this room. What do you want? Have you ever wondered why God has put you in your family that you're in? There's all kinds of families here this morning. There's blended families. There's nuclear families. There's single families. But God's put you in that unit. You're a Holy Ghost terrorist unit for good. You're a cell for kindness and mercy and grace, right? And so, why has God put you there? Some, some years ago, we, we started to work on a family mission statement for us as a family. And of course, to do that, you have to, you have to dig around. So what, what are the things that are important to us? And so there are numbers of things that are important to Judith and myself, and the kids are about eight, eight and 11, I think, and we engage them in the conversation. And, and so one of the areas that we feel passionate about is hospitality. Hospitality. So, you know, between Christmas and New Year, we had 17 people stay in our home. Not all together, I'm glad to say. But oftentimes for two or three days at a time, because we've discovered if we get people in our home for a couple of days, we can really mess them up. <laughs> we can help them to stop living average. It's really hard to do that over a cup of coffee, but you get them in your house for 48 hours, it's a beautiful thing. So hospitality is, and of course, of course, there's been a cost for that. It's a cost to have people into your home, right? So sometimes kids have to give up beds and bedrooms and whatever, and we have to talk our kids through that, how valuable this is and whatever, okay. So that's, that's important. That's important. Missions is important for us. Missions is important. Generosity is important for us. And, and what becomes the values of your home get transferred to your children and to the people that engage with you when they come into your home, right? You create an atmosphere and people pick up the atmosphere. Even though you may not speak about those things, something gets impregnated in the atmosphere into their spirit. And they go, wow. So why has God made you family? You have to ask yourself that question. What do you want? What do you want for your family? What do you want with this church? What do you want this church to be known? Known for in this community? Oh, I understand. We have a great reputation. We're a church of excellence. I understand that. We're a church of generosity. We're a church of mercy. One of the things I keep on hearing, people come in here, there's no, this is a religious-free zone, and people feel accepted. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're a street person, or if you're a multimillionaire, people feel accepted. Right, that's fantastic, right? That's fantastic. What else? Do you want to be known as a church that's radically changing Asheville for good? Yeah. <laughs> radically changing Asheville for good. 
Amen. You meet those people from the rock, goodness, mercy, kindness, love, just pour there like a torrent, a torrent of goodness comes out of them. They are an amazing group of people, right? There's an interesting story in 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan and his armor bearer surrounded by about 7,000 Philistines. And they have one sword between them. And the armor bearer says to Jonathan, let's go and get them. (laughs) And then there's this beautiful phrase, and perhaps the Lord might help us. You know what happens? The longer we live this Christian life, we manage... We manage to construct our lives that faith is not needed. Hello. We manage to do everything within the capacity and capability of ourselves. But the plan of God is is that we tap into his resource. We tap into his power. We tap into his love. And one one of the ways that God does that is this. He wants you to say yes before you know what the question is. Because some of us have become very clever at talking ourselves out of stuff, and we call it wisdom, and we call it being balanced, and we call it being whatever, right? Where God wants to bring a fresh radicalness within us that we see the kingdom of God pour through us. And I want to ask you today, would you say yes before you know the question? Would you say yes? Would you say yes? Would you already make up your mind? Because I don't know what God's going to say to you, but he's going to say something to lots of people in this room today, and and he wants to hear yes before you know the question. My friend, he was a missionary in Thailand, and uh, after that tsunami, which wiped out a lot of that island, um, he'd become friends with the mayor, and he, was, he had been a missionary there. And one of the tragedies of that, that uh, disaster was it had washed away the school. And when you wash away a school in a third world, it actually kills the future of the next generation. And so the mayor's talking to my friend who was a missionary. He's living by faith. And the mayor says to him, Brian, you do have to help us. And do you know what, Brian? I'm, I'm asking you would, you, would you rebuild the school? thousand student school and says before I could think I said I can do that mayor and then his heart sank he thought what did I flipping say what was I thinking I obviously wasn't thinking and he walks away almost in shock and he walks back down to the beach and there's debris everywhere and he says God I, I've just I've just committed now I've made this vow I, I have, like you, you've got to help me you've, you've got to help me do this and he walks back up to the beach goes back into the town and by that time all the news agencies are coming CNN uh, there CBS BBC World News services there and they pick up on, the, the BBC guys pick up on his English accent, and they say, oh, wait, are you from England? He says, yeah. And what do you say? Oh, I'm a missionary. What's one of them? Then he begins to explain. He says, says, can we just interview you? And so they started to interview him. And he looks right into the camera. And he says, look, all these news people, they'll be gone in about three days' time to the next disaster. But right now, we need to rebuild a school. We need to give children in this community a future. And there's going to be a website. And there's going to be an opportunity for, for, you, to, for you to donate. 
and within six weeks, 1.2 million pounds came into that fund. I said pounds. See, when we say yes before we know what the question is, we open up a whole new world of God's opportunity to come into our lives, right? When we pray, the unexpected can happen. When we pray, the unbelievable can happen. And lastly, when we pray, the unplanned can happen. The unplanned can happen. One of our partners... One of our partners who've been working with us for, for some time and helping us with, with various items to get into these communities, um, they're a, like a humanitarian, Christian humanitarian organization in England, and, and they've been taking trucks of stuff right across Europe for a long time. But the, the, the leader, Trevor, one day, he's praying, God says, I want you to help my people in Liberia, in Liberia. And they'd been in a civil war for quite a number of years. And so he comes into the office, so he says to his PA, we need to help the people in Liberia. <laughs> we don't know anybody in Liberia. He says, yeah, I think God might. <laughs> let's, let's, let's ring the embassy in London. He says, what are you going to say? He says, I have no idea. I think the Lord will put words in my mouth. So they ring. She hands him the phone. He goes, hello, this is Liberian Embassy London. He says, hello, my name, is, my, my name is Trevor. I'm a servant of the Most High God. I feel as if God wants me to bring trucks of aid into your country. How can I possibly do that? The man on the other side goes, praise the Lord, brother. Can you come and, can you come and see the uh, ambassador? Yeah, yeah, I'll come down Friday. So he goes down Friday, meets the ambassador. My ambassador's overwhelmed. He says, look, we can start with six, six trucks. Can you do all the paperwork because we know how complicated it is? Yeah, we can do all of that. And he's about to leave the embassy. And he'd just been in this palatial room. And the Lord speaks to him and he says, Trevor, I want you to fill this embassy with furniture. High quality furniture. And he's looking around and he goes, there's no blanking room to put any more furniture in here. He says, Ambassador, I've just had a strange feeling. I just feel... As if Jehovah said to me, I need to fill this embassy with high-quality furniture. He says, really? He says, yes, yeah, I'm feeling. He says, you're, you're a prophet from God, aren't you? He says, no, 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 my name's Trevor. I'm Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> he says, well, my, my predecessor sold all the furniture in this embassy. The only furniture that, that we have left is what you saw in that room. I actually sleep on the floor every night. So you have been sent from God. See, when we pray, do you know what happens? The unexpected can happen. When we pray, the unbelievable can happen. When we pray, the unplanned can happen. And one of the ways we can find out how well we're doing in our prayer life is when those three things are happening in our lives. Let's just bow in prayer together, shall we? You may be here for the very first time. You may have been visiting for numbers of weeks. And somehow something has resonated with you. You've seen something in your friend. You've seen something in the people that they've brought you in touch with. And somehow you can see something in their life and you're thinking, man, I need, I need some of that. I need some of that. And what you need to allow the goodness and kindness and mercy of God to invade your life. 
Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. But this morning, you don't understand all the details of all of that means, but you want to make this step nearer. You want to go, I want to know more. I want to connect. I want to feel the goodness and the mercy of God. And if, if, if today, if today you say, Ian, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to get to know this God who is kind and loving and generous and passionate about me. I, I want to say yes. If you want to say yes today, just raise your right hand high enough for me to see. You're going to say yes. Thank you. Yeah, lift it right up. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, put your hands back down. Maybe you're here and maybe your Christian life has been a little cool. Maybe a little tepid, maybe even lukewarm. But somehow something is stirring inside of you. Stirring inside of you. You go, man, I, I, need, I need to get back to base. I, I, I need to get back to base. I, I, I need to say yes to Jesus. I, I need to come back on the wagon again. I need to get full in the flow of what God has for me. If you're like that this morning, and you're saying, yes, Jesus, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Why don't you raise your right hand? Why didn't you raise your right hand right now? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back home. I'm coming back into your kindness and your mercy and your grace. I'm coming back. That's beautiful. Put your hands down. For those of you, you're doing good. For some of you stood this morning, you, you are prepared to say yes before you know what the question is. You're going, no, no, I'm, I'm going to start living by faith. I'm going to start doing what God wants me to do. I'm not going to sign up for the limitations of my personality. I'm not signing up for the limitations of my own resources. I'm not going to sign up for the limitations of the small world that I've been living in. I'm going to say yes to Jesus, and I'm going to expose myself to the bigness of God in my life. And I'm going to say yes. Wherever the question is, Jesus, is yes. If that's you, just raise your right hand. I have from see. Right up. So, Father, I thank you for everyone who's saying yes for the first time this morning. Yes, they're saying yes. But I pray that you'd invade them with your goodness, with your mercy, with your kindness, with your love. May they know on the inside their sins have been forgiven. May they know that they have a God in heaven that's with them and for them. And for those that are coming back now, Father, they're coming back on the wagon. They're coming back to first base. They're coming back to give their whole lives to you again, Father. I pray they will know the power and the inward energy of the Holy Spirit, bringing them into this new freshness in Jesus' name. For everyone here, Father, they've said yes. They said yes. May this be the most incredible, amazing week of their lives as they start a new adventure with you. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.